Hello there, my name is Neve Brannigan and you're listening to the Irish Film London podcast. If you're a regular listener, it's lovely to have you back and if you're a first timer, welcome. Here on the Irish Film London podcast, we bring you all the latest and greatest talent from Irish film, TV and animation, with recordings of live Q&As and interviews from our festivals and award ceremonies, as well as a host of brand new interviews, one of which I'm delighted to bring you today. In today's episode, Jerry chats to the makers and creators of the eighth film, Alva Smith, Andrea Horan and Lucy Kennedy, a documentary that follows the journey of the people of Ireland coming together to fight for women's reproductive rights fighting to remove a constitutional ban of abortion, the Eighth Amendment. It shows a country's transformation to a more liberal, secular society. The IFL podcast is completely independent, so I would ask if you enjoy listening to our podcast or you like popping onto our website and checking out the film programmes we've created for you guys, to consider making a donation or becoming a champion. If you're already a member or a champion, we're relaunching our member scheme, so make sure to keep an eye out for any new goodies we have in store for you. Or if money is tight at the moment, even spreading the word about us would be amazing. Just before I hand you over, we'd like to thank Culture Ireland and the Irish Emigrant Support Programme for their ongoing support of our work, including this podcast series. Enjoy, folks. Okay, so thank you everybody for joining us this evening um, for an Irish Film London uh, discussion with the filmmakers and uh, participants or cast of um, a brand new Irish documentary which is uh, due for release soon called The Eighth. Um, to read a little bit from um, the official synopsis and to explain to anyone who hasn't heard of The Eighth yet what it is. The Eighth traces Ireland's campaign to remove the Eighth Amendment, a constitutional ban on abortion. It shows a country's transformation from a conservative state uh, enthralled to the Catholic Church to a more liberal, secular society. The Eighth includes voices from both sides of the debate, but its primary focus is on the dynamic female identities of the pro-choice campaign. The film follows the veteran campaigner Alva Smith, who joins us tonight, uh, self-described glitter activist Andrea Horan, uh, who's also here with us, and as they chart a bold strategy of grassroots activism and engineer the impossible. This dramatic story is underscored by a vivid exploration of the wrenching failures that led to this defining moment in Irish history. Um, before we start into our discussion with Alva and Andrea and one of the film's directors, Lucy Kennedy, I'd like to uh, quickly show you the trailer for The Eighth, which I will try and share with you now. Every now and then an issue comes before us which challenges us to think about our history whether it's the damp cold of the Magdalen laundries or the sundered silence of mother and baby homes being broken. All of these things are connected by the way we as a country have treated women and particularly pregnant women. Women's health is at risk. Women are still in danger. Women are still taking the abortion pill illegally. We absolutely have to do something an investigation is underway into the death of Savita Halapanavar. This government needs to introduce emergency legislation to protect women's lives. And if they don't, we will bring this government down. Repeal the After decades of uncertainty, the process has started that could herald the biggest change ever in Ireland's law on abortion. Our choice! Our choice! Oh, no, no. 
this was the most divisive issue in Ireland ever. The answer is just, we'll just get rid of it instead of, what do you need? Suddenly, what's being proposed is a completely unrestricted liberal abortion regime. That's the shock factor. Not the church, not the sex! Order, can you not see it's whilst we're voting on reproductive health care and abortion rights. It's actually about the value that we're putting on women in Irish society, saying that we do value them, we do trust them. It's only women who are not trusted to make decisions about their own health care. Men aren't asked ridiculous questions. Imagine if you could get this army of women putting that pressure on and to feel empowered. Just for one week to do it. We've waited 35 years and we're going to bring it home. Well, there it is. So I'd like to um, give a really warm welcome and say hello to uh, Alva Smith, Andrea Horan, and Lucy Kennedy. Um, thank you all for joining us this evening. How are you Great all doing? Well, I mean, how well can anybody be doing right now, actually, Jerry? So I, I, I would like to give my standard Irish answer, sure, I'm grand, which actually <laughs> means nothing. <laughs> 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 what about yourself, Andrea? Yeah, trucking along, doing my bit. Uh, <laughs> what can you be doing? Just cool. getting on with us. Cool, cool. Well, look, thanks. Um, thanks both of you for, for joining us. Um, Lucy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the film itself, first of all, before we talk about the, um, the, uh, the content and the, the sort of the activist angle that's behind it. Um, uh, but uh, to set the scene, um, we're having this conversation really um, as part of Irish Film London's um, St Bridget's Day celebrations, um, which we're doing in, con uh, in conjunction with the Embassy of Ireland in Great Britain. So there's a number of cultural organisations um, across London and elsewhere who are uh, celebrating this sort of in and St Bridget's uh, weekend. Um, and the, all of the activities that we're doing um, as a film organisation are celebrating the role of uh, females on film and Irish, uh, Irish female-led film projects. Um, so within that context, it really makes sense for us to be having a conversation about a film which, on, although it's not out yet, um, we, we really want to start a conversation about what's, what, what you're saying in the eighth um, and what that means for women's rights and reproductive rights and and all sorts of um, issues in Ireland. Um, on that note, I kind of want to start a bit by talking about the journey of the film, like, because um, your coverage of these proceedings, like, they, they go back to like, way before the excitement of the protests and the, the referendum campaigning period itself. So, Lucy, I wondered if, you, from, the film, from the filmmaker's perspective, if you would be uh, able to talk about like, how, this, how the project started and how it came about. Yeah, so the project started back in 2016. Um, both, there are three directors on it, myself, Aideen Kane, and Mavo Boyle. And we're all filmmakers in with different expertise. Aideen is mainly a producer, she's based in New York. Maeve is based in Dublin, although worked for years and years in New York and is an editor producer. And I come to it from a more journalistic producing background. So um, I actually, both Maeve and Aideen knew each other for years. And 
they had independently wanted to do a project, do something around the Eighth Amendment, because um, we all grew up under the shadow of the Eighth Amendment. I remember the campaign, which for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure a lot of people on this call do know, but, you know, equated the right to life of the quote unquote unborn with the mother um, or the pregnant woman. So we were all deeply affected by it, but it was really, so Maeve and Aideen knew each other, they came together, and then I met Aideen in New York, and it's such a big sort of enterprise um, that she invited me to join the two of them in making and directing this film. Um, so that's how the three of us came together, and we spent about a year just researching the issue. Mm. Um, and then, you know, move forward with production and um, finding the right people to follow. And then events happened very quickly. And what's the what's it like? I suppose you probably hear this quite a lot now. Um, what's it like being um, like one of three directors on a project like this? I mean, is there like a, a division of duties that um, that is quite natural or was there a, is there a process is there is there like a, a lot of um three-way meetings to make decisions on creative creative stuff or, or how did it go yeah no it was a really great i mean collaboration i mean the truth about filmmaking especially documentary filmmaking is it's an incredibly uh collaborative process and i sort of resist you know there is this myth in my mind of the sort of utter director that's the one person's vision and and that does you know with a kubrick or something like that you know that definitely does exist but for us it was um the collaboration it was too big for any one of us to start mm. for starters but also um we each were in ireland at different points mave was here um and and could follow more of the things on the ground and we were you know there's a whole sort of fundraising process that goes into making an independent documentary as well but um when a push came to shove and we had decisions to make there was a sort of we agreed very early on it was going to be a democracy so if there were two people who felt strongly about something and one person didn't we'd thrash it out, but the two people, we'd go with the two people. But to be honest with you, there was, we had heated arguments definitely in the edit, but we were, we all really like each other and respect each other and all bring very different things to it as well. So um, no, it worked out remarkably well, I have to say. That's really good to know. As as a filmmaker myself, I know that it's um, often an, an achievement in and of itself to still be friends with each other after a really long project. So fair play to you. Um, yeah, and it's not like we didn't have moments of tension. We certainly did, but they were <laughs> never personal. You yeah. know, it was always about the project or time or that kind of thing, you know. Um, yeah. So starting in 2016 um, and getting the project off the ground, what was the... What was the first step in stone into making this into like a creative documentary that you can pitch to industry or raise finance for? Well, we started, I mean, we started very, you know, in 2016, we all have other jobs. Like this is an absolute labor of love and we all work in the industry in different capacities. But, you know, we, we 
8 a.m. New York time, 1 p.m. Irish time, we had a call once a week and we'd go through sort of the issue, what we were reading on it, what we were watching for inspiration. And, you know, that that was sort of a year of our time and also looking at figuring out trying to finance the film. Um, and the Irish Film Board came on board. A couple of places came on board early on, which made an enormous difference. Like there's a producer... Um, at the Irish Film Board, Lagley McKim, and she really believed in the project. Mm. And there was another person at the Open Society Institute who really believed in the project. So they came on board. And then um, we had to, the next big thing was figuring out who we were going to follow in, in the documentary. Mm. And then I suppose you came across your lovely um, contributors, Alva and Andrea. Um, yeah. Well, so, I mean, Alva was, so Alva was an absolute no-brainer because she had been involved in the movement and is a very well-known activist in Ireland and, you know, really has been there, you know, fighting for this issue for, for decades. And um, we were really lucky, you know, Maeve was the first person who met Alva and we were trepidatious about like whether we would, um, you know, get whether she'd be okay with us following her and all of that sort of stuff. So Maeve first and then Maeve and Aideen with, uh, met with Alva and then gradually we got to know Alva. And I think um, she's a very sort of like discerning person. So it wasn't like open arms immediately, but uh, we actually became friends. And, um, uh, and then Andrea, like so much of this movement is about a younger generation in Ireland and a generation who I think came of age and we're just sort of like, what, what on earth is going on? You know, like we don't have these rights. And they didn't, I sort of see myself as, as part of the last, you know, Andrea and I are similar enough in, in age, but I, I, I definitely grew up still in that kind of very uh, ecclesiastically kind of, constrained Ireland and I think there was a new generation of people that um, Andrea was championing and people also who weren't necessarily uh, interested in politics and issues and she had just this unique and very very positive um, way of approaching the issue so she's just so dynamic as you see in the film so like it, it was a no-brainer once we met Andrea and then we were lucky enough that she also said yes. So um, we got lucky, you know, because it's a big commitment mm. for people to to give up that much of their time, especially when they're fighting a massive issue, you know. Um, so so yeah, we were lucky. So Andrea, maybe that's the the point to bring you in then, because like your contribution is your contribution in the film is. Um, it, it, it does, it's summed up by what Lucy says. I mean, I wonder, like, as opposed to Alva, who's got a sort of, a, like, a legacy of activism that, that um, is, like, recognisable in a, in a more traditional sense, like, what was it that brought you um, to your position as a quote-unquote activist for, um, for this issue? Um, I suppose I never really considered myself an activist, per se, um, and I'd worked in marketing for so many years, 
Um, and when I left marketing, I set up my own business that was very much about uh, doing my own stuff. And it's a nail bar. So I was seeing all these women all the time who were affected by these policies who didn't have the maybe the words or the way to communicate how they felt about it. And reading, I suppose, a lot of women's media, I, it was kind of overlooked. And the mm. more and more I got into the issue myself, the more I realized that I could use my skills that I had to to bring an audience along and bring go to where people were rather than expecting them to come to where other people were. So like we were very focused on kind of, as I say, the glitter activism, it was kind of trying to bring people into the fray in a fun way so that like you're, they are, these are human rights we're talking about, but at the same time, that doesn't mean we, uh, we like, there's a place for anger, but there's also a place for for the joy that goes along with having autonomy over your own body. So, um, yeah, that was something I tapped into. And using my marketing experience and PR, I was able to kind of put together um, an approach that was very focused on my ways of working that I'd worked on for so long. So it was, yeah, it was just using my skills. And I think that is uh, why I agreed to be in the film, because... Mm everything that I had when I started I was very cognizant that it wasn't about me and the ego that goes along with that is very something that I don't really like getting into so I was kind of a bit like oh god a film but I but at the same time I was like if other people see that you can use the skills that you have to do get things over the line rather than having to follow what is traditionally an activist route that you can contribute in your own way and um, if that's something that can come out of that then it would be silly not to do it so yeah that was kind of what made me buy in and obviously um, I loved the, the, the women. My next question to you after looking at that clip um, Andrea was was to ask you whether you feel like you're um, whether you feel any different in your role as an activist now or whether you think the experience of going through all this since 2018 and the success that the campaign had whether that has changed your opinion on activism in general or just you know just your outlook on everything has it changed my outlook i think it's definitely been a journey and i've definitely learned a lot as i've gone along of how things work in the bigger picture of politics and like i wasn't very political um at the outset let's say now i have a current affairs podcast so that in itself would give uh it, it away but i think did it change me i think it cemented my own beliefs of how I approach things. So if whatever I believe in, I'll bring the kind of same um, activism to and the mm. same action. So yeah, I think it definitely broadened my horizons, uh, broadened uh, my capacity to believe that you can change things and that everyone is possible of that and everyone deserves to have their voice heard. Mm. That's really lovely. Right, I'm gonna try Try this again and see if I can get this clip going for everyone. Uh, are you fresh? Ready to, ready to pound the pavements? Good. Uh, I'm just doing my makeup here now in Trap Hop and then going to collect everything in the office and then over. We'll be there for half time. I'd be in Tropical Popco and ask the girls who work there and I'd be like, how are you going to vote in the general election? And at the time they were like, oh, I don't know, I might not vote. 
No wonder politicians don't put women's issues as red line issues. Will it pop in the second I kind of was like, imagine if you could get this army of women who are totally disengaged and get them to engage a little bit more and to, to start putting that pressure on and to feel empowered. You do you and I'll do me, honey. But like, people are so different that there has to be different ways for people to absorb their messages. To reach a full society, you have to appeal to a full society. This is an exciting day. Love it. Amazing. <laughs> That's an amazing place. I absolutely love those little uh, repeal hearts on the nails and everything. That's um that's that's a skill I don't have. I don't have it either, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> it's a very intricate detail. <laughs> Good stuff. So um Alva, to move on to you, your your um your background and your experience in um in activism and the the uh the approach that you um, have to the to the issue is is quite different and uh, from where Andrea comes from. Um, I wonder if you would um, tell us a little bit about um, your background as an activist and um, and what brought you to um, to leading the campaign for the referendum. Well, for, uh, you know, first of all, I think um, when I listen to Andrea and when I think back on the work that Andrea and the women that she was involved with in the Hunreal Issues and Trop Pop and so on um, were doing, it, it just makes the point so absolutely clearly that there isn't one way of being an activist. There isn't one way of campaigning. And that was particularly important, I think, for us um, in the repeal campaign. Or certainly, I, I, it was something I felt very strongly about from the very beginning, which, which goes back to 2012, 2013, that when you're, when you're fighting a referendum, when you're fighting to have a referendum, when you actually do have the referendum, it's not the same as oppositional radical protest politics, which I do have a history in, but that's not what you're doing in a referendum campaign. You're seeking to appeal to the people, in this case, the people of Ireland, who are and really strongly consider themselves to be absolutely sovereign in this regard. Nobody, politicians or anybody else, tells us what to do in a referendum campaign. That's what we do. But you have to interest the people. You have to rouse their curiosity. You have to involve them. You have to engage them. And that was exactly what Andrea uh, was doing. So whether she likes it or not, I think it's an absolutely valid form of activism. In fact, it is a, a, an extremely important way because um, people end up saying, oh, my God, I'm not talking about Andrea, but a lot of the women she was like, oh my God, I'm an activist. I was involved. I did this. And I, I think that's also hugely important for young women to get that sense that they were actually the people who moved this terrible amendment out of our constitution. So it, it's really um, one of the things that I have found certainly in referendum campaigns is that you campaign differently, but that and each campaign brings, each referendum brings new learning. I think this time, certainly for the eighth, it was so enormous. Um, I think it probably changed a bit anyway, everybody who was involved in it, because you really did have that sense um, without 
blowing any kind of trumpet that we were making history. Uh, it felt like that, and I think I think we did because it was the whole weight of Catholicism in the past and a very conservative state continuing into the present, and deep, deep, deep patriarchal structures of uh, dislike and hatred and ill treatment and suffering for women, which of course um, you know have also. Uh, come to light through the mother and baby homes and other scandals. I mean, I go back quite a long way um, to the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, and when I was involved in the women's movement. And I was um, I was there in 1983, not actually in Ireland for a lot of the time, but when I was, I was campaigning to keep the eighth out of the constitution. And then subsequently, when we had other referendum campaigns. But I mean, I haven't only campaigned on, um, I mean, as a, I'm sure everybody uh, listening or watching or part of this conversation this evening knows, I mean, there was so much that we had to get out of the way in Ireland and still do in many ways that you, it was just going from one referendum campaign to another. So there was the issue of abortion, of course, but there was also divorce twice. Mm in 86 and again in 95, which was very, very, very trying and, and very challenging and demanding because we lost and then we just about won. Um, and, and, and then of course, there was the marriage equality referendum in 2015, which I was very um, centrally involved in. And I had figured out back in 2012, 2013, because I was working with the uh, marriage equality people that, um, if we could win, if we got a referendum on marriage equality, and if we could win that, which I thought we possibly, well, around about 2013, 14, I thought we could, that if we could do that, it would open up space for people to see the possibility of change and the potential of campaigning, and particularly the potential of campaigning using social media and so on. So, um, the strategy for appeal goes back a really long way. So to pick up another thread of your story, when Lucy and Maeve and Aideen approached me, I mean, Lucy was saying, oh, we didn't know you were awestruck and Alva's very discerning. Alva was looking around for people who were going to record for us what I thought <laughs> would really be a historical event if we won and if we didn't win, well, it would still be of, of interest. But I mean, I, I really felt very strongly what we were doing, and there were so many incredible people involved by 2016, because um, we had the coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment, which was bringing together all kinds of organizations. That was how I got to know Andrea, who joined up with the, the Unreal Issues, and which I still think is the best incomprehensible title for a group I've ever come across. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved her from the moment she hit the ground running. You know, I thought, oh my God, she is so dynamic. Um, but you know, it, it it for all of these incredible people involved, you knew or I, I really felt it in my bones or in my waters, as my Belfast granny used to say, I felt it in my waters, that this was something we could really shift, that we could really do it, that we could um, topple down this terrible, terrible structure that we were carrying on our shoulders as women and that we absolutely had to have this recorded. So in... I hope, not at all a personally vain sense, but but I mean there was that that sense that we had to leave a legacy, 
Um, and I say not personally vain, because I think one of the things that you really learn in campaigning very strongly is that you really you are not doing it for yourself. If you're doing it to advance, I don't know, some kind of particular vanity project you have, you're not going to get anywhere. People see through you. They don't believe you. Uh, you're wasting your time. You won't you won't achieve it anyway. So it is when that passion and commitment are there. Um, and you know that something is really important, uh, that's when you also know that you've got to leave some kind of, of a record so that people will know how hard it was. Because I think now people often, they say things like, but you won so quickly. And I'm thinking, <laughs> you mean like from January <laughs> to May? <laughs> I say to them, 1983, 1982, <clears throat> 1981, when the small pro-choice group started in Ireland. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you know, that is all written on my body. I, there's a whole history there written on my body, <clears throat> in my head and in my feelings. It took decades and decades for us um, and many, 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 many women and men um, to do that. So this notion that we did it very fast. People don't understand that there was long planning. And of course, there was a huge amount, sadly, there was a huge amount of experience of being involved in referendums. And that we knew how to lose because we had lost before. What we weren't sure of was how to win. And this time we absolutely had to think strategically about how do you win and you win by drawing in the people. And that's what Andrea was done. This is, this is a shot of Andrea in the film where she's <laughs> pulling, tugging on a rope. And she always has it's my favorite shot of her, actually. <laughs> she's tugging oh, on the rope. But it's not just because it's Andrea being Andrea, if you like. It's because it represents that sense of pulling in the people, pulling in the opinion, making it come together so that it coalesces and it gels and ultimately comes out as an absolutely overwhelming yes in you know one of the biggest turnouts in a referendum in Ireland mm. ever we also got one of the highest yeses ever even higher than for marriage equality well let's take another little look at what some of that organizing yielded on the streets in another clip I've got for you Yeah. 
such energy. That is amazing. Um, some of the chants from those um, from those protests have, have stayed with me for a long time afterwards. <laughs> that was an incredible. That was an incredible evening. Um, the the chap with his his crucifix was finally dragged off, and about six six or nine months later, this young man stopped me. Uh, on Stephen's Green, actually, and he said to me, he said, hi, he said, I'm the one who pulled your man with the crucifix off. <laughs> <laughs> and it was only in Dublin could that happen. I thought. <laughs> Stephen's Green of all places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Um, well, look, I'll kind of, I'll kind of open this out to to everyone, um, in a sense, um, as we, as we move on in the conversation. But it's it, it's a film about. It's a film about activism and it's a film about um, uh, a, a hugely divisive issue um, in the country, or at least a, an, an issue which involved a really divisive campaign. But there's there's a sense that, of course, although as as uh, documentarians, Lucy, you and your and your fellow directors want to present the facts and present a sense of of objectivity of what, how things really happened, but like a lot of probably like most people who are on the call and 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 ourselves we 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 normally pick a side essentially and of course we focused in we focused in the eighth on um on one side of the campaign and the side that um that you as as filmmakers kind of believe in as as an issue i wondered if we, you wanted if you could talk a little bit about the role that that objectivity plays in presenting a point of view um in a project like this yeah, I mean, I think that like, I, I think everybody has a point of view. So I'm not, I, I think there's a difference between objectivity and fairness. Um, and I think that with this documentary, we all came in with a point of view, we were very clear to everybody we spoke with, that we had a point of view, but we also wanted to be fair. I mean, there are people in my life, and I know my co-director's life, who we love dearly, who have different opinions to us. So I, you know, there was no desire on our behalf to sort of vilify people that we don't agree with. And in fact, I think there were a couple of reasons it was so important to show the other point of view. One being, um, you know, that, that is sort of it, it it showed what like Alva and Andrea were were up against in part as well. And it also represents, you know, a portion of the electorate and the Irish people. Um, and I think funnily enough, you know, we I think we would have even incorporated the other side a little bit more if we had have gotten more access. Um, I think that they were naturally enough skeptical of us. And there were a lot of people who wouldn't speak to us also. But the irony is, is we didn't want to show things in a very black and white way. We wanted to give people the opportunity to present their point of view. Mm. Well, I think you've definitely, um, as a documentary, it's definitely something that, which, although it's a, it's an access documentary in, in the sense that it focuses on the S campaign and Alva and Andrea and those activists, there's, you've, you've given a lot of screen time to, to a varying number of views on, on, on the, on the no campaign side and, and a lot of people on the doorstep as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I suppose, um, I suppose the question then is how important it is to to ensure that 
to ensure that all those that, that spectrum of of possibilities that spectrum of opinion is represented i mean i think it's i think it's important um i mean firstly it makes the film much more nuanced as well to to show differing perspectives it's it wasn't just kind of a pure sort of activists taking one side and one point of view i i think uh, you know, and we were lucky with some of the interactions were very interesting on the um, on the doorsteps as well. And it showed the challenges and what Alva and Andrea and the whole movement was up against as well. Um, so I think every issue is different. Um, but I think for our film and for us, it was important to have that voice in there, definitely. There's um, there's a scene at the end of the film um, at the climax of the the referendum result where everyone's everyone's gathered at Dublin Castle and there's this huge sort of like it's all it's, it's already a celebration. The exit polls had, had been released at that stage and we're kind of just waiting to <clears throat> to hear what the official the official result is. And there's something in there's something in the audience that that I saw and that. Um, we asked people on their um, social media channels this week to submit any questions for yourselves and um, someone brought it up as well um, there's placards that people are holding and one of them that really stands out to me says the north is next and um, I wondered what whether anyone wanted to comment on on that in any way well I, I think um, during the campaign you know that was something that we were very very conscious of and it, it's it's i think also important to say that that was also true in relation to marriage equality and that this was the first time um in the history of uh, the irish state that we had been more progressive or seemed to be more progressive um in relation to social and sexual issues uh, than the north so it was a really again historically a very very interesting moment um and i had certainly been up and down uh, between the north and the south during the marriage equality campaign and similarly then for um abortion there was a lot of toing and froing so the alliance for choice which was the big uh, still is the big Northern Irish organization was was a member of the coalition to repeal the Eighth Amendment and many, many, many people um, came over the border to uh, to campaign in sort of Louth and Monaghan and the other border counties in particular. And there was a very real sense that um, if we won in the South, that it would be incredibly difficult for the North to hold out for very much longer. And that turned out to be true, although it happened via Westminster. Um, but I think it, you know, it also serves in, in kind of the bigger picture in the longer term to sort of show um, how foolish and how wasteful it is to have this uh, toing and froing and coming and going and divisions uh, on what is a very small island. And that I think has been uh, shown even more strongly now uh, during COVID. And the interesting thing that it is not necessarily people who are Republicans, it's not necessarily people even who are terribly nationalist who are saying this. A lot of people are saying it from social and economic and health perspectives, that it is this is a really small island and small, small island and we should really be working together. So I think that those referendums and the changes in the North are all serving to be part of that change of mood 
and change of view, which we see reflected in polling quite recently. So it's a really interesting kind of longer um, impact of the socio-sexual referendums, perhaps particularly on abortion, actually. So it's, it's very, very interesting, uh, but it was great to be have that sense that we were campaigning together and that that continued on with the North struggle. Mm. Still does. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that um, do you think that there's been real material change, um, in, especially in, in reproductive rights in Ireland since the since the referendum result, or how much more work do you think there is to do now? Well, it. it Taking the Eighth Amendment out of the Constitution was removing an obstacle rather than setting up something. So it was an absolutely crucial first step. But the work of, um, you know, getting a law in place, which we do have, but getting it so that it's going to meet the real needs of real women um, is in itself a job of work. Um, moving the health service around from the the principle that abortion was a crime and also a mortal sin to understanding that it is a it's a legal right in Ireland that it is not a crime to have an abortion that the health service is obliged to provide abortions within the framework of the law so all of that I think demonstrates that it is a process and I think uh, but that being said, I think that already it has made a very material difference to women because we do have abortion on request up to 12 weeks, which effectively is nine weeks, but for one reason or another. Um, although after that period of time, um, abortion is very much more limited, which shows still the continuing ambivalence, not only in Ireland, but throughout the world, that you know a little bit of abortion is okay, but not more. And, you know, that doesn't make sense because, you know, you're not a little bit pregnant or, you know, it's like you are, you aren't. Um, and I think so, I think in terms of, of shifting attitudes, um, there is a very long way to go. But this is not just about abortion and it never was. This is about the control of women and it is about power and it is about male power. So um, we have to keep you can just never take your eye off it. You have to keep watching it all the time. But in the meantime, women are having their abortions in Roscommon or in Cork or in Galway or in Dublin or Limerick or whatever it is. And um, hopefully the law will be expanded somewhat when it's up for a few in a year's time, just over a year, under a year, actually. Sorry, I seem to have kind of lost out on a, on a COVID year there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we all did. Yeah. <laughs> Andrea, do you, do you feel like, do you feel like the, the referendum result and the, what it means, what it meant for people, what it does still mean for people, do you think that it's left a sense of empowerment, a, a sense of possibility for, for further change? Do you feel like? You know, when, when you're talking to people about these issues now, does it feel more hopeful now that there's been a, a, a bit of a win around this referendum? Yeah, absolutely. And I like if there wasn't as well, I think so many people have been mobilized from the marriage equality referendum and from the eighth um, referendum because these were issues that affected their day to day lives that unlike the tit for tat shenanigans that go on in the doll or the, whatever may not be of interest to so many people. But when it, it's, it affects you, you kind of dive in. And I think if you look at me in particular, like I wasn't political and now I'm really interested in it. So um, 
for, with me as an example, that's one, but also then all the, all the girls who came along on the journey and um, who are now going off in their own directions and their own campaigning and whatever those uh, things are that affect them. So 100%, and I think that the referendum was really, um, an I hate the word empowering, but like, um, because well, anyway, that's a different story, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it has definitely given the women of Ireland the, the kind of confirmation that they they can achieve and do what they need to do and I think there's definitely seems to be um, a change in tone in what we are what we want from our politicians as well there's a, a call for more empathy there's a call for more mm. understanding and the kind of old way of politics seems to be fading out a little bit now obviously it's not fading out fast enough but there is um, more women going into politics there is more um things coming up that are relevant to women like even the small the um this uh period product that is being there's two bills on the table for that at the moment so things like that are are being brought to the table that wouldn't have been in the past because of representation because of people um being empowered and because of of the belief that the, there, there is the possibility of change and that we are there's less it, there seems to be less ego and i think that came from a lot in the referendums because you were doing something that was totally not for just about mm. you it was for the the greater good um so there is this kind of uh lack of ego uh people are requiring that from their public officials and that it is more about social issues and um rather than party politics a lot of the time so i think definitely the referendums have kind of hopefully moved people along in what they want from their politicians and what they demand. So one of the ways that I noticed it, Jerry, is uh, just recently, I was just thinking about it the other day, and I think it kind of chimes with what Andrea was saying, is that women um, have really been very much to the fore prominent in Black Lives Matter Ireland. And, you know, are, are really kind of taking those sort of leadership, spokespeople, spokesperson roles. And that really wouldn't have happened some years ago. And I, I do think that it, um, that the sense of the, what you can do in social movements has been hugely uh, buoyed up by the referendums, obviously, and that women in particular feel, which was very necessary, Feel more, feel greater agency. I share, I share Andrea's dislike of empowerment. <laughs> but, you know, feel a greater sense of of agency, but also quite simply are expressing their anger and their frustration, and are are, are more ready to do that and to stand up and fight uh, for it. And that goes. This is a new group, for example, Dis Disabled Women Ireland has formed, and it was formed not exclusively, but quite substantially by two women who were um, very active in the repeal movement. So you sort of see all of those uh, sort of tentacles kind of reaching out, which is quite, quite amazing, quite amazing, really. Well, on that really, really hopeful note, um, we will wrap up our conversation for the evening. The only thing left for me to ask, which is the other question that I got a lot of this weekend, is when is it out? When can people see the eighth? <laughs> so in the UK, um, there will be a theatrical release um, early summer. 
Um, and in the UK, there's a very good infrastructure around online theatrical releases. So even if cinemas are closed, um, people will be able to view the film online. Um, we haven't made the announcement yet, but definitely keep an eye on our social media feeds. And we will Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we will be promoting it all there. Um, so, and there's we have a... Um, on our uh, website as well, there's a sign up page for information, Amazing. Uh, which is just the eighthfilm.com. Great. And your socials, I think, I know your Twitter is um, the eighth film. Where can we find the other ones? The Andrea. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're all uh, <laughs> at the eighth film. The eighth film. They're all the eighth yeah. film. They're all. Actually, you should, you should find them if you go looking for it. Right. The website has all has links to everything. Exactly. The eighth Good stuff. Go to the eighth film.com, Sign up to the mailing list. Look out for information. Alva, Andrea, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it's been really lovely to talk to you about a really lovely film. Um, I remember flying into Dublin Airport um, the weekend of the referendum. Um, I, I was on a plane that was almost full of repeal t-shirts and there was lots of hugs and it was a lovely time. And it's been lovely to, re, to relive it this week. Um, so thank you all so much and best of luck with the release. Thank you so much. What an incredible interview with amazing women. One thing I'm definitely gonna take away from that interview is that there isn't one way of being an activist. The 8th is now showing in cinemas across the UK in over 45 different venues. Check out their socials for all the location details. And there's also virtual screening options on their website, the8thfilm.com. That's it from us here today. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this chat educated and inspired you as much as it did me. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Simply search for Irish Film London on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. A final thank you to the Irish Emigrant Support Programme and Culture Ireland who've been brilliant supporters of ours for years. Gurmila Mahaguth. The Irish Film London podcast is produced by me, Neve Brannigan. Our interviewer today was the head of Irish Film London, Jerry Maguire, and our theme music is by Kevin McLeod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again very soon. <laughs>